Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank you guys for listening to Confessions of an Arcade Addict in the year 2022. It started off pretty good, but the last quarter of the year was really hard on me. I'm trying to recover from it, and hopefully we can get right back on schedule for 2023. And I want to thank each and every one of you who's been along for the ride since I started this in, what, 2018? And 2023 is going to be no different more arcade runs hopefully once my finances get in order i can get to places like chicago and maybe even going up into wisconsin there's a bunch of arcades in madison i want i want to go to um but in the meantime i need you guys to like rate review and subscribe to confessions of an arcade addict wherever you listen to it and that helps me grow the podcast I do plan also on streaming this coming year if I can get the equipment together, and hopefully this will turn into bigger and better things. So let's keep going. 2023 is right around the corner, and hopefully it's a good year for all of us. Later. What's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 61 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, when last we left off, um, I did release episode 60, I think it was December 30th, so we're a few weeks after that now. It is now uh, January 23rd, so we're like almost a month past uh, the last episode release. You know, basically just been playing a lot of games I've uh, been playing uh, Division 2. I've sort of latched on to a nice little community of players. And, you know, uh, like I've said before, Tony T, who streams, um, Mixie Girl, who streams, and a bunch of people who are followers of them both. And they all, you know, get together and, you know, play uh, while on stream. And it's fun. It's still a lot of fun. I play it solo a lot, although I've been getting a lot of people, you know, coming in and joining my game, which is cool because, you know, it's like I was saying during Mixie Girl's uh, stream earlier this evening. I don't mind playing alone, but when I can actually have a little bit of community with other players of the game and we can get together and you know, play around and have fun and, you know, talk a bunch of junk and make each other laugh. I'm all about it. So, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I did post on the uh, Robotron uh, players group on Facebook. Uh, 
cracked a million on Robotron again. And that's pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, you know, I couldn't top the machine because at the time there was a guy who uh, comes in, his initials are KID, K-I-D, and he comes in and he usually puts up like a million seven, a million eight. Then my man Bill, who I met through the Robotron group on Facebook, uh, came in, I think he came in on like uh, Sunday. And he put up almost two million. I mean, he was really close to cracking two million on that machine, which is cool. But, you know, my whole thing is is that I'm a little bit past the competitive part of playing video games. I'm just in it for my own enjoyment and to, you know, constantly improve on that game. So it is what it is. Um, let's see. Aside from that, you know, it's the usual thing. Just working a lot and trying to keep the bills paid and you know things of that nature you know the usual typical stuff so you know not too much going on um i did take a look uh at emails and dms and instant messages and still nothing out there so you know once again uh if you've got any questions thoughts comments uh, as long as you're nice about it when it comes to comments you know because i've zero time and less patience to deal with pricks um just get a hold of me arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com also there is a phone number for voicemails that number is 734-743-2433 also i am on instagram twitter tumblr and also facebook as previously mentioned uh on uh instagram i am arcadeaddictbrian uh, on Facebook, just run a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. If you run a search on Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, there's a discussion group that goes along with it. Uh, on uh, Tumblr, it is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. And on Twitter, I am arcadeaddict underscore B. So once again, multiple ways of getting hold of the show. And if you've got the inclination to do so, by all means, don't hesitate. I would love to have the discussion and repartee with you, if you will. So, with all that done, let's get right on to the show. I've got a lot to talk about here, and not a lot of time to get it all out before I have to go to bed tonight. So, let's get right on to it. And that is Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Crazy Quarters Arcade, Bay City, Michigan. Uh, whenever I hear about a new arcade anywhere within driving distance of home, of course I'm going to check it out when time and finances allow me to do so. There's just something about walking into a new place that hits me on several different levels. The inner child is happy, the mature game player is interested to see if the games hold up and to see what is going on in the place aside from the games. If it's done right by, by the proprietors, you can feel it the moment you walk in the door. Uh, I could feel that when I walked into Crazy Quarters, even though I was pressed for time and a little stressed out from the rather perilous drive up to Bay City due to rapidly worsening weather conditions. 
I was glad that I decided to rent a Subaru from Zipcar for the drive up, let me tell you, because it was a rough drive getting out of Ann Arbor, and the further north I went, the worse the roads got. So, yeah, I'm glad I had a vehicle with all-wheel drive, you know, and I was able to make the trip up and back pretty much without incident. Um, when I walked in the door at Crazy Quarters, I could see that the place was still a work in progress, but the proprietors had done a good job so far in the few months the arcade had been open, especially considering when I went there, it was, what, December 5th, 2021? And, you know, it, we were still trying to get out of the pandemic. You know, we're still in it but we're a lot further along towards the end than we were you know over a year ago so you know i did notice that um the arcade occupies an older building in downtown bay city with higher ceilings that give a place a more open feel and rather muted lighting that lets the game screens and uh pinball play fields light the place up uh, the main area has most of the games, ranging from the classics to a few modern-day imports from Japan, and also Papa Shot. Ahead and to the right is a nook that houses the old-school games ranging from Pac-Man to Dragon's Lair. Uh, just off to the left of that is another nook that houses the larger machines and some driving machines as well. Uh, to the left is a second storefront that houses the pinball machines, which is a great mix ranging from a couple of machines from the 60s and 70s all the way up to the relatively new Guns N' Roses machine. If I saw it correctly, every decade of pinball was represented. Uh, straight ahead was the counter that sold t-shirts for a very reasonable $15 and also had snacks and drinks. A couple of vending machines were also in the back where the bathrooms were located, and there was a nice little pass-through that links the two nooks and the main floor on the right side of the building with the pinball and skee-ball machines on the left. Along that pass-through were several machines that either were not set up yet or were in a state of assemblage or disrepair. Uh, as cool as all this was, not everything was sunny with the place at the time. Uh, there was a bit of an unfinished look about the place, but I can excuse that because they'd only been open for business for a few months, and they had actually opened up a second floor of the arcade since this visit. Uh, there was the fact that all the machines uh, were 50 cents, something that I've docked places for in the past. I hope that won't always be the case, but it was a little bit disappointing, even though I kind of understand why. Uh, because of the circumstances of the day, which was also my birthday, uh, I didn't get to spend as much time playing the games as I should have or even wanted to. Uh, also, a former roommate of mine who lives in town showed up and we all spent about an hour and a half just catching up on what's been going on in our lives rather than playing the games. But rest assured, I did my due diligence before I had to get in the car and start the trek south back to Ann Arbor to go to work. <laughs> yeah, I had to work on my birthday as well. That didn't make me happy either. <laughs> I do intend on coming back up here and digging into the games more fully and seeing what uh, Crazy Quarters has done since this visit. Uh, it definitely has potential, and I certainly hope to keep things moving in the right direction. And there is a update, uh, which I wrote uh, more recently. Uh, since my visit literally a year ago as of this update, I've seen that Crazy Quarters has seriously expanded. From the pictures I've seen on Instagram, they're now a two-floor affair, and I'm going to have to go back up there to check it out again. 
Um, if I remember correctly, I think they have the video games on the ground floor and the pinball machines on the second floor now. That's good because getting around the pinball area with two rows of machines and a lot of people playing a tournament, uh, which was going on uh, when I visited there a year ago, it certainly made getting around that area a little difficult. This is definitely uh, in need of a revisit. So that's my breakdown of... Uh, uh, Crazy Quarters Arcade. Um, if you live in the Bay City area or you've actually been to Crazy Quarters since they've uh, renovated the place, hey, let me know what's going on there so I know what's going on when I get there. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, moving right along, let's go into Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old. Are you experienced? Asteroids Deluxe. Um, <laughs> this uh, little uh, delve into this game is what led me to come up with the title of this podcast called The Revenge of Atari, because that's exactly what it was. <laughs> um, okay, so let's dive right on in. Uh, the information that I read is, of course, provided by Wikipedia. Asteroids Deluxe is a vector graphic, multi-directional shooter released in arcades in April 1981 by Atari Inc. as a sequel to Asteroids. It was followed by Space Duel in 1982 and Blasteroids in 1987. Key changes in Asteroids Deluxe were designed to combat the saucer hunting strategy of Asteroids, which allowed experts to play for extended periods. These modifications also made it significantly more difficult than the original. Ports of Asteroids Deluxe were released for the BBC Micro in 1984 and the Atari ST in 1987. Okay, let's move right to the gameplay. Like in the original Asteroids, the objective is to score points by destroying asteroids and flying saucers. The, p the player controls a ship that can rotate left and right, fire shots straight forward, and thrust forward. One shot, larger asteroids break apart into smaller pieces and fly in random directions, while the smallest asteroids are destroyed when hit. Deluxe replaces the hyperspace feature with shields, which deplete with use. The game also introduces the killer satellite, a cluster of ships that break apart and chase the player's ship when hit. Objects wrap from each edge of the screen to the opposite edge, uh, for example, from the right edge to the left, or the top edge to the bottom, as in the original. In addition to the shield feature and the killer satellite, the most significant change in this version of the game is that flying saucers can now target the player's ship across the screen boundary, meaning that if the saucer is close to the left edge and the player is at the right edge, the saucer may shoot toward the left edge and across the boundary to hit the player since their ship is closer in that direction. In Asteroids, the saucers could only fire directly at the player's location on screen without considering the boundary, which led to the popular lurking exploit that enabled players to play for very long periods of time on a single credit. This updated strategy was in direct response to that exploit. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? Um, let's see, the development. 
the Asteroids Deluxe Arcade Machine is a vector game with graphics consisting entirely of lines drawn on a vector monitor, which Atari described as QuadraScan. The key hardware consists of a 1.5 MHz MOS 6502A CPU, which executes the game program and the digital vector generator called the DVG, the first vector processing circuitry developed by Atari. The DVG used for Asteroids Deluxe was designed by Howard Delman and used earlier in Lunar Lander and, of course, the original Asteroids. Uh, one of the quotes that I've seen and <laughs> I thought was really, really interesting to say was from uh, George Sullivan, who wrote a book called How to Win at Video Games, A Complete Guide. He said, in fact, in the first few months after Asteroids Deluxe was introduced, it proved so difficult that many players turned their backs on the machine. <laughs> and that is kind of true. So uh, that's all the information that uh, I have for it on Wikipedia. So let's move right on to my personal experiences. This game was super hard even back in 1981. Uh, the regulars at the Trumbull Mall Arcade could only get maybe 30 or 40,000 points on this game, where they could rock its predecessor for 80, 90, or 100,000 points or more. Uh, I remember the G Fox department store in my local mall was holding tryouts for a national tournament and had a machine there. The difficulty settings were maxed out, and I think I got maybe 5,000 points or something like that. My friend Eric only got maybe 11 or 12,000. Uh, if I remember correctly, one of the better players out of the regs uh, at the arcade got to the regional semifinals or something like that. Uh, we have an Asteroids Deluxe machine at the arcade in Brighton, and I think out of all of the years going there, and the last almost year, actually at the time of this writing, now it's over a year, it's actually closing in on two. It's like one and a half. Um, the year and a half of working there, uh, I've played that machine maybe twice. The higher score on the machine is like only 36,000 points or something like that, but I have way too many bad memories of this game, so I tend to avoid it. <laughs> and it's so true. I just play Asteroids, I look across the row of machines at the Asteroids Deluxe machine, and I just shake my head every time. Um, and I actually wrote an update, uh, which was put, uh, which I wrote on March 13th of last year. Uh, I actually played it for the first time in literally decades, and man, am I bad at it. <laughs> I think I only got 7,500 points or so, and I just forgot I forgot just how unforgiving this game really is. I may have been underselling it when I first wrote this segment. But yeah, this game is just ridiculously hard in a whole bunch of ways. And even before I read that Wikipedia article and read a couple of uh, supporting articles. Yeah, I knew even back then that this was a machine that Atari put out to humble the uh, so-called experts at asteroids. Um, as far as I know, there's only been like one or two people that I saw in uh, late 1980 who played Asteroids, who got their scores, what I think is legitimately, by playing the game straight up, instead of just doing the one Asteroid saucer hunting trick. I mean, I did that, but I wasn't getting any enjoyment out of playing the game. Even back in 1980, when I'm like, what, 11, 12 years old? You know, I preferred rather to play the game straight up and learn it that way.
rather than do the uh the one asteroid trick which a lot of the regulars were doing that's how they would get 80,000 90 100,000 points or more um like i said uh i think i said it in a um a recent on the road segment that i recorded that there was the one guy and i talked about it when i talked about asteroids way back in like episode six or something like that um there was one guy his name was charlie i mean he could have been like you know security at one of the stores in the mall or but he carried himself like he was like at the very least a, a like a detective you know if not like a federal agent or something like that and he would come in and he would just start playing asteroids and he would play it straight up and he would rock the machine for bare minimum 50,000 points. Um, one time I think I watched him score like over 90,000, you know, and like I said, anytime I had questions about asteroids and he was around, I'd ask him and he would just tell me, he'd just give me the information. He wasn't like uh, miserly with his knowledge of the game, which was awesome. But yeah, Asteroids Deluxe was a completely different animal. Um, the Not only did the saucers shoot at you, uh, use, the, use the wraparound trick to shoot at you, but they were a lot more accurate. I mean, the large saucer, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the original Asteroids, it's like one shot in 16 is directed at you. You know, otherwise it's just spraying shots all around. Uh, otherwise, which makes it pretty easy and pretty more or less harmless, you know, to go after and kill. Not so with the small saucer. Uh, the small saucer is fairly accurate, and the further along in the game you go, the more accurate the little saucer gets to where it's making predictive shots, uh, meaning that if you're flying in a straight line and you're trying to fly towards the small saucer in order to shoot it it you know it will just put a shot out that's going to intersect where your ship is going to go if you maintain the straight flight and it will hit your of course hit you and die um but yeah in asteroids deluxe now it's like the large saucer i think every shot was like one in eight or maybe even one in four that was directed at you Otherwise, it would just shoot um, other asteroids, or if the killer satellite was there, it would shoot that, which, of course, you know, made things even tougher, because as you progress further and further along in the game, the killer satellite just continues to move faster, you know, from the time that it's, you know, shot either by you or by uh, one of the saucers. It'll break up into like three elements of two. Then if that gets hit, then it's, you know, the two elements break up and they all start chasing you. And with each successive level, the, you know, the killer satellite uh, pieces move faster and faster until they are literally as fast as your ship at full thrust. So, yeah, then there's that. So, like I said, this was like a direct, um, I would say this was handed on, handed down from up high saying, hey, we have all these guys, you know, you know, purporting to be asteroids uh, experts, and they're doing this one trick, and they're getting all these points, so I want you to make this game much harder, and that's what they did. 
And yeah, <laughs> like I said, we have a perfectly functioning Asteroids Delector's Machine at the arcade. And yeah, I tried playing it, you know, back last March. And yeah, I didn't even get to 10,000 points. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that's Asteroids Deluxe. Um, if you've played it, if you were around in the early, you know, late 80s, early 81 when it was released, you know, by all means, if you've got your memories of playing this game, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, moving on from there, we are going into Home Systems. There is no place like home. Shall we play a game? Love to. Screw you guys. I'm going home. Grandpa! I'm going home! Okay, Home Systems, the Nintendo GameCube. Alright, so I'm going to jump right back into this. There's quite a bit of information here. So I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to talk about, and we'll just go from there. Okay, once again, this was from Wikipedia. The Nintendo GameCube is a home video game console developed and released by Nintendo in Japan on September 14, 2001, in North America on November 18, 2001, and in PAL territories in 2002. It is the successor to the Nintendo 64, which was released in 1996, and the predecessor to the Wii, which was released in 2006. In the sixth generation of video game consoles, the GameCube competed with Sony's PlayStation 2 and Microsoft's Xbox. Flagship games included Super Smash Bros. Melee, Luigi's Mansion, Super Mario Sunshine, Metroid Prime, Mario Kart, Double Dash, Pikmin, Pikmin 2, The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, Chibi-Robo, and Animal Crossing. Development was enabled by the 1997 formation of computer graphics company ArtX of former SGI employees who had created the Nintendo 64 and which was later acquired by ATI to produce the GameCube's GPU. In May of 1999, Nintendo announced code named Dolphin, released in 2001 as the GameCube. It is Nintendo's first console to use optical discs instead of ROM cartridges, supplemented by writable memory cards for saved games. Unlike its competitors, it is solely focused on gaming and doesn't play mass medium like DVD or CDs. The console supports limited online gaming for a few games via a GameCube broadband or modem adapter and can connect to the Game Boy Advance with a link cable for exclusive in-game features using the handheld as a second screen and controller. The GameCube supports e-reader cards to unlock special features in a few games. The Game Boy Player add-on runs Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance cartridge games. Reception of the GameCube was mixed. It was praised for its controller and extensive library of high-quality games, but was criticized for its exterior design and lack of multimedia features. Nintendo sold 21.74 million GameCube units worldwide, much fewer than anticipated, and discontinued it in 2007. It was succeeded by the Wii, the first model launched in November 2006, with full backwards compatibility with GameCube games and accessories. Let's do the release. The GameCube was launched in Japan on September 14, 2001. 
approximately 500,000 units were shipped in time to retailers. The console was scheduled to launch two months later in North America on November 5 of 2001, but the date was pushed back in an effort to increase the number of available units. How about that? <laughs> because I can tell you for sure, uh, Sony wasn't doing that. <laughs> but to continue, uh, the console eventually launched in North America on November 18, 2001, with over 700,000 units shipped to the region. Other regions followed suit the following year, beginning with Europe in the second quarter of 2002. On April 22, 2002, veteran third-party Nintendo console developer Factor 5 announced that its 3D audio software development kit titled MusiX. In collaboration with Dolby Laboratories, MusiX provided motion-based surround sound encoded as Dolby Pro Logic 2. The Triforce Arcade Board is a joint development between Nintendo, Namco, and Sega based on the GameCube's design. Its games include Mario Kart, Arcade, GP, and F-Zero AX. Nintendo launched the Wii, the home console successor to the GameCube, on November 19, 2006 in North America, and in December 2006 in other regions. In February 2007, Nintendo announced that it ceased first-party support for the GameCube and that the console had been discontinued as it was shifting its manufacturing and development efforts towards the Wii and Nintendo DS. GameCube controllers, game discs, and certain accessories continued to be supported via the Wii's backward compatibility, although this feature was removed in later iterations of the Wii console. Several games originally developed for the GameCube were either reworked for a Wii release, such as Super Paper Mario, or released on both consoles, such as the Wii launch game The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. GameCube controllers continued to be supported via backward compatibility on Nintendo's next consoles, the Wii U, and Nintendo Switch, with the GameCube controller adapter in 2014 Super Smash Bros. for the Wii U and 2018's Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Let's move on to the reception. The GameCube received mixed reviews following its launch. PC Magazine praised the overall hardware design and quality of games available at launch. CNET gave an average review rating, noting that though the console lacks a few features offered by its comp competition, it is relatively inexpensive and has a great controller design and launched a decent lineup of games. In later reviews, criticism mounted against the console for often centering on its overall look and feel, describing it as toyish. <laughs> How about that? Uh, with poor sales figures and the associated financial harm to Nintendo, a Time International article called the GameCube a, quote, unmitigated disaster, end quote. That's harsh. Uh, retrospectively, Joystick compared the GameCube's launch window to its successor, the Wii, noting that the GameCube's lack of games resulted in a subpar launch and the console's limited selection of online games damaged its market share in the long run. Time International concluded that the system had low sales figures because it lacked, quote, technical innovations, end quote. Let's do the legacy real quick. Uh, let's see. Many games that debuted on the GameCube, including the Pikmin series, Chibi-Robo, Metroid Prime, and Luigi's Mansion, became popular and profitable for Nintendo franchises or subseries. GameCube controllers have limited support on Wii U and Switch. To play Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, respectively, via a USB adapter. 
regarding concerns about the correlation between violence and video games, a 2009 study by Iowa State University found that certain games like Super Mario Sunshine and Chibi Robo, which were GameCube exclusives, would help players learn positive skills about helping others, empathy, and cooperation. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, there is a lot about the sales and the market share and you know how they didn't put a lot of online gaming in it uh some things about third-party support but i think i've made my point here so let's move right on to my experience with it all right i'll cop to it the only reasons why i bought a gamecube were twofold i was a big fan of crazy taxi and that reminds me i need to do an are you experienced for that game mental note and when I saw that LucasArts had put out a Rogue Squadron sequel called Rebel Strike, I had to have that. I had read and reread the Rogue and Wraith Squadron books by Michael Stackpole and the late great Aaron Alston, and I was a huge Wedge Antilles fan. And if you're a real Star Wars fan, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, I was a huge Rogue Squadron fan by this point. So one day I went to GameStop, I think it was either 2003 or 2004, I think it was 2003 because I was still living with my roommates at the time. And that was before GameStop got really egregious with their trade policies. Um, the place, it was still a good place to buy, sell, and trade games. And I went and bought myself a GameCube. Uh, I think I got a copy of Crazy Taxi with it. And I ended up having to order Rebel Strike from Amazon. Uh, I ended up getting a few more games like Tales of Symphonia and WWE Day of Reckoning and playing those. But after a time, I just kept going back to my PlayStation 2. Now, don't get me wrong here. I like the GameCube just fine, but nothing was going to stop the juggernaut that was the PlayStation 2, which went on to become the greatest selling console of all time. It had better controllers and a much, much bigger library of games. Uh, let's see. I think the GameCube had like 700 games or thereabouts, while the PlayStation 2 had like six times as much like 4,400. I think the GameCube would have done much better if Nintendo had gone in this direction at the time of the N64 and then come out with the GameCube, which would have put it closer to what the PlayStation 2 was. As popular and nostalgic as the N64 was and is, imagine if Nintendo had made a DVD-based system closer to the cap capabilities of the original PlayStation and moved on from there. I think Nintendo's fortunes might have been better, but considering how monolithic Sony had become in the years from 1994 to the end of the PS2's run in 2013, I don't think any of the competing companies had much of a chance. But it's just one of those kind of what-if kind of questions. Makes me wonder every once in a while. So that's my little breakdown on the GameCube. I own one. I still have it. Um, if I can ever get my living room uh set up the way i want to i'm going to have pretty much all my consoles hooked up to a couple of tvs in here um i have a nintendo 64 i have a gamecube i have a ps1 i have a ps2 i have a 3do and uh commodore 64 and i plan on hooking all that stuff up <laughs> because yeah this is going to be my little gaming nook in in the living room for to be sure that's that's my ambition <laughs> whether that comes about or not because i'm so i work so much we'll see but anyway that's the nintendo gamecube i know there are people out there who have owned one and still owned one 
and if you still have it and you still play games on it and you love it, hey, tell me why. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, and from here, we're going to go on to a little brief Silver Ball segment, so here we go. Ball, Paragon. Okay, I did as much of an information dive as I could about this machine, but I couldn't find all that much on it. You know, I went to like Pinside and uh, what is it, IPDB.org, and there just wasn't a lot of information. I wish there was, um, because I want to. Like break down the scoring on all of these machines and things like that, but that information, at least for the places I'm looking for, it just isn't there. So I'm just going to go right into my experiences with it. Even as a 10-year-old kid hanging out in arcades and game rooms in the late 70s, I saw that pinball machines were getting more elaborate. Definitely on the playfield, but especially in the playfield art and the back class art. Paragon is one of the most beautiful pinball machines I've ever seen, regardless of era. Add to that the oversized playfield where there were a lot of things to do, but the goals were simpler than some machines. There were elements of Space Invaders and Kiss in it, but they were done really well, and only if you were really familiar with those two machines would you see the similarities. Uh, I remember when I played this machine, I couldn't nudge it as well as I wanted to because I was only 10 years old and the machine was pretty big. Um, I used to watch the regulars play it and go for the high score on the machine all the time. Shout out to Carl and Nicole, but Retro Electric has a machine and I'm going to have to go out there at some point because I want to play it, as well as the classic KISS machine that he recently restored and put on the floor as well. So that's Paragon. Um, anybody out there who has more information about this game, please get a hold of me because, yeah, I'd love to know more. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, and finally we're going to go on the road. Um, I'm going out of order with this, um, with this on the road segment because um, I decided to make a recording on my way home from my shift at the arcade on Christmas Eve of 2022. So... I think you'll be interested to hear about, you know, what was going on with me uh, in the year of 2022 and the plans I have for this year. And I'm hoping that I can get at least some of these plans uh, realized and made a reality. So we'll see. So let's just take a ride and I'll see you guys next time. Peace.
Hey folks, Brian here, and I'm on the road. I'm in downtown Brighton right now. I have to go over to the store to get some cough medicine for my son. And then I start the trek to get home. Now, it's not a trek. It's just figure of speech, really. It's only about... No, oh, that's not cool, dude. <laughs> if you're going to run across the street, make sure you keep your phone in your inner pocket so that it doesn't fall out like that. That's how you break phones. Anyway, I digress. Real life happening in front of me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just on my way to the store to get some cough medicine, and then I'm going to get on 96 and 23 and start the run home. Um, I was just thinking, uh, I was listening to a podcast that I love to listen to, Questlove Supreme, shout out to Questlove, Laia, Fonte, Sugar Steve, Boss Bill, Unpaid Bill, you know, the whole crew, because that podcast, just the sheer nerdity, when they talk to, um, musical artists, especially those who have been in the game for quite some time. Like, I just listened to a best-of show where they talked to Greg Fillingaines, you know, and he's worked with Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, and he's telling stories about all the stuff that's happened, you know, around him and to him throughout his musical career, and it's like, I'm just blown away by all of it. So, you know, um, so, and then after I got done with that, then they started doing, I started listening to a year in review show and I'm like, you know what? I might be biting, although it's not the most, I mean, it's not exactly what I would call seriously biting, but you know what? I'm going to take that idea and go for a walk with it. I'm not going to run with it. I'm just going to take a little walk. Um, but I am pulling up to Meyer right now, so, you know, I'm just going to tease it a little bit, and I'm going to run in, get the medicine, and run out, so I shall return momentarily. Of course, it'll be one second for you guys and, like, ten minutes for me, so, anyway, uh, hold on one moment, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so, yeah, I just thought to give, like, an overview of the year 2022 going into 2023, which will occur in about 15 minutes, Mark. Um, uh, 2022, it was... The first half was okay. I will say that. The first half was okay. Um... You know, the big thing was, is that in, uh, in April, this is late March, early April, something like that, um, family, a friend of the family is, um, came home from her therapy following her really nasty bout with COVID to where there were a couple of points during her convalescence when they wanted to perform procedures to help her 
further along the path to recovery. She almost died during them. Um, it was one of those where, yeah, <laughs> you know, it would have been a really, really, really bad thing if she had died. It would have been really bad for a lot of people. You know, my family, her family, yeah. And not only that, you know, this planet would have lost one of the better people on it. But, so, like I said, the first, you know, in April, everything's okay. Janie, I'm going to start from the beginning. Oops. Somebody just posted on uh, Facebook. Um, I can't remember too much of, <laughs> of the beginning of 2022, but it was safe to say that it started out okay. I'm trying to remember, um, it was, I think it was right around that time, January going into February where my route got changed at uh, work and that cut about 10 hours per week out of my paycheck, which was pretty significant, you know, that's like almost 170 bucks before taxes, you know, so, you know, th that happened, then, and, you know, then, you know, just getting through February and March, and that was not so easy, um, April, like I said, you know, that, that, um, the family, uh, our family friend is come, come back and come home, and that's a good thing, and her road to recovery once she got home was not very easy, although she was making slow yet steady progress, um, so, you know, April, April goes into May, and June, and that's when things really started getting tough for yours truly. Um, throughout all of this, you know, I'm working my stat my Saturday shift at the arcade, and you know, aside from one incident that happened on a Friday where I had to help out my coworker who didn't last very long after this particular incident because someone basically showed up drunk and um, caused some damage to the premises. Not the machines, thankfully, but, you know, damaged some, thing, damaged some doors and things like that. Um, and all these kind of weird, weird things would happen only on her shift. You know, I think she was working like Fridays and like Saturday afternoons and or Saturday, yeah, Saturday afternoons before I would show up for the evening shift. Um, so aside from that, you know, nothing eventful. Um, I did get a raise from uh, the owner who really liked the job I was doing, you know, on my shift at the arcade and gave me they basically raised me up from $12 to $15, you know, per hour, so that was nice, but June, 
was when things really started turning for the worse for me. First of all, um, our lease expired and, you know, I'd had enough runarounds with the leasing company who all they care about is just extracting as much money out of people as possible. You know, they can't be bothered to, you know, address any issues that you have in a timely manner and things like that. So, um, the entire, I want to say from, I'd say probably around February going all the way up until we found a place and I think, and I think, uh, July, I think, this beginning of July, um, it was a stressful time because I'm trying to find a place to live and it, the search wasn't going all that great. And so, you know, there's a lot of stress going on because now, on top of having to pay rent, now we're going month to month a premium rate <laughs> as the apartment complex called it, which is a joke. Now I'm paying an extra $300 a month in rent. So I'm paying out almost $1,700 just in rent, never mind all the other bills I've got. So that happened. Um, the summer, aside from the stress of looking for a place to live and packing and all that other stuff, you know, because I didn't really start packing until we had a place. Because if we couldn't find a place, then I just wasn't going to put myself through all of the physical stress and mental stress of packing. I mean, full disclosure, I lived in that apartment for 18 years and then my girlfriend moved in and she's been with me for what, 16 out of those 18, I think? Something like that? No, 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 no. She moved in, moved up here in 2007. So that was what, 14 out of the 18. But either way, so now that's going on, and then my hours get cut, which makes it harder for me to pay that rent and everything else. The good thing was is that my credit card balances were very low, so I wasn't paying out very much in credit card payments. I mean, aside from a loan that I had to take out in 2021, um, you know, I had to deal with that, and then, um, you know, that's, that's like $670 a month. I want to get that refinanced, but nobody's willing to do it, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is, I just have to, you know, I had to do it when I had to do it, now I've got to pay it, and I'm trying to get a refinancing loan, and that's kind of tough, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so that's going on. And, you know, I'm just doing my four jobs, you know, my hospital shift, my home care, and the uh, job at the arcade. Um, so we find a place in July, and now it's like, okay... I need to buy boxes, tape, and start packing. And as I'm doing it, I'm realizing just how much crap we have. 
oh my god, I couldn't believe how much. I knew we had a lot, but I, even I underestimated how much we had. You know, I mean, when it comes down to it, and I haven't thought too much about it because the move, even though it was like, like I said, maybe like two-tenths of a mile down the street from one apartment complex to another, it was so physically and mentally taxing that I just couldn't, that, you know, basically I've blocked it all out. You know, I would even think about from about, I'd say probably August until late October, that whole stretch was just really, really tough on me. And then on top of that, when it came time to do the move the week before, or the two weeks before my move date, um, the decision comes down that I can't get my PTO, my paid time off for that. And I walk in to work early that day and I talk to my manager and she's like, who, the manager who told me, by the way, that there shouldn't be a problem getting this PTO. And, you know, I basically said to her, it's like, look, what's going on here? You know, I have this date set in stone. I have movers coming that day. There is no way possible that I can do this entire move, which aside from the movers, I'm doing myself. And there's no way that I can rearrange all this. And... My manager told me in no uncertain terms is that, well, you know, I, you know, this is a deal because apparently three other people wanted that week off, you know, that time off. And I said, okay, then I told you that I have to do this and there's no turning back. So I'm going to just put in my two weeks notice right now. And my manager looked at me with a rather shocked expression on her face and then she collected herself and said, okay, you're going to have to put that in writing. I said, okay, that's perfectly fine. I'll do that tomorrow. And then I just left. So I get a call later that day from my manager and the uh, department manager basically said to her, okay, give him the time off. And you know, I, you know, and I was cordial about it. I, you know, I said thank you for doing that, even though I couldn't, um, like I said, I couldn't change all these plans. And so that whole little piece of drama comes up, or go, I go through that little piece of drama, which was another level of stress that I really didn't need at the time. I mean, even though I could probably just walk up the street to Meyer or Kroger and just go on their night shift and work that, and, you know, there wouldn't be any major interruption in uh, income. But even so, changing jobs, even if it's a job that, you know, you're looking forward to changing, it's still a hassle in a lot of ways. So that happened. And so 
okay, we go through July into August and into September. I mean, now in August, I start the packing. I'm doing something pretty much um, every day or couple of days as the packing supplies come in. I don't even want to think how much I spent on packing supplies. It was at least a good four to five hundred dollars. The good, the good news is, is that I think that's tax deductible, along with the uh, movers, which was another nightmare and level of stress that I didn't need. Um, so we go into first week in September, and. I think I talked about it in either in another uh, a previous on the road segment that I recorded but haven't put out yet. But basically, you know, I don't like the guy who shows up because he takes one look around. I mean, never mind. Now understand something. I don't have a problem with marijuana at all. And by the way, folks, happy new year. Uh, here's hoping 2023 is a better year all around for all of us. Because God only knows, since the end of 2019, we've been taking some shots. <laughs> you know, we've been we've been taking some haymakers. You know, you know, and we're still standing. But there were a couple of times we were on some wobbly legs. But yeah, now it's 2023, and here we go. <laughs> let's see what let's see what goes on. Let's see if we can continue to pull ourselves out of the hole that. COVID has put us in. But anyway, to continue. So, the guy, and now, like I said, I don't have a problem with pot. I never have. You know, some of the best experiences I ever had were under the influence of a contact high. I've, ne- I've only smoked marijuana once in my entire life. And it must have been some crappy weed because I felt absolutely nothing. You know, didn't feel any kind of even slightly altered state. She must, the person that I smoked it with just, it just wasn't all that. It just wasn't good weed, I guess. Nothing like what we get nowadays where, you know, the weed is so strong it could put you, put you in a coma if you're, if you overdo it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so the, the, these guys walk in smelling like weed, like they were smoking the entire way down from uh, the entire way down from um, Royal Oak, which is where they're from. That was mistake number one on my part. I should have hired a local mover, but I was concerned about uh, customer satisfaction and all that crap and nonsense. You know, so, yeah. So that happens. He comes in, he's got this attitude, you know, because I'm the one, I'm the only one doing packing. I'm maybe about, I'd say probably about 50 to 60% done, but he sees the 40% that's not done and starts pitching a fit about it. And I try to talk with the guy, but he's just on one. You know, he's just on a rant about, we. I can't do this. I can't do this room. I can't do that room. I can't do this. This isn't ready. This room I can do. And I'm just like, whatever, you know. And he goes outside, and, I, and I've got the windows to the apartment wide open to get some air circulating in there. And, you know, I hear him out by his truck, and he's complaining to his manager, you know. And I'm just like, wow, you know, 
And so after about 20 minutes, he comes back in and he's just like, you know, we can only move one room. That's all we're, that's all we can do unless you want to get, um, have us come back. And I said, you want to know what you guys can come back. I'll have it ready in like five days, four days, because you gotta remember I'm doing all this packing, um, and you know, taking care of other things too. So, you know, so I basically have to pay for an hour of their work time plus the fuel to get to and from uh, Royal or from and to Royal Oak. And I'm not very happy about it, but I pay it. Um, so, uh, cut ahead to about a week later. I've got probably about 95% of it done now, or no, I'll say about 85% of it done, because the last thing I had to do was the, uh, master bathroom, or master bedroom, uh, walk-in closet, which had a ton of stuff, literally a ton of stuff, I mean, we're talking old computers that I had, and printers, and, you know, just a lot of stuff that I needed to throw out, I needed to go through and throw out, but, you know, when this is a one-man operation, you can only do what you can do, right? So, you know, so that day comes, I'm about 95% done with it, 85, 95% done, and I'm working on the last 15% when the movers show up. Now, it's a different crew this time, thankfully, and, you know, I have everything ready, everything's ready to go, all they have to do is just start grabbing boxes, putting it on their carts, and loading it into the truck, which is exactly what they start doing, you know, I'm a lot happier with these guys than the last set of guys that were set, so, trying to think, I think they got it all in one trip, and, you know, I'm packing up my car with other stuff, so they get everything in the apartment, and then, now it's up to me to get everything else out of there and get a um, to, and get a cleaning crew uh, to go through uh, the apartment clean, you know, clean it up to the best of their ability before I turn in the keys to the uh, to the landlord so you know and it takes me an extra like two or three days and of course this is way past, this is like a week past um the actual move out date, and of course the office is like, yeah, okay, sure, sure, no problem, extra day, sure. Of course, realizing that every day is an extra day that I'm going to be giving them money. <laughs> so yeah, that happened. Um, so I finally get it all done, the cleaning crew comes in, they clean to the best of their ability, um, and... I get in, so I turn in the keys to the complex, and I get out of there, finally. I ended up leaving the desk chair behind that uh, hat was uh, part of my, uh, my desk set that I've had since I was like 14, or 13 or 14, but at that point, I don't care. <laughs> you know, this whole thing was just trauma- in, in a lot of different ways, you know, physical trauma from moving everything and packing and unpacking the essentials and everything by myself, 
like after the movers came and went, I had to go get a U-Haul truck to get the beds over to the new place so that, you know, myself, my girlfriend, my son, and uh, our family friend, uh, lit, you know, has have places to sleep on, you know, that night, you know, and they even told me after I got a bunch of things in the house that I was breathing so hard that I was wheezing and they were concerned whether or not they were going to have to, uh, you know, have me or, you know, get me, you know, get me to the hospital or something. <sighs> Man, I blocked all of this out. This is like, and more or less, this is the first time I'm talking about all of it. So, you know, you're along for the ride with me on this. Um, so that all happens. And then I get the final bill from the complex and they want a hell of a lot more money than what I thought I was going to be paying them. And I write a rather scathing move out review about, you know, everything that has gone down in this apartment since pretty much the day I moved in and, you know, they're trying to stick me for the refrigerator and I told them, hey, first of all, that was a used refrigerator when the original one broke down, you know, and, you know, you, you can't stick me for a used refrigerator and I said that to them and, you know, I still have yet to talk to them. They've probably already taken this, you know, take this whole thing and put it into, uh, you know, bill collection because, you know, I'm too busy running around trying to get everything done. You know, I'm, I'm a one-man operation when it comes to caretaking around my house and, you know, for home care and whatnot. I don't have a lot of help, you know, aside from the family friend who pitches in when she can but I don't rely on her for much. You know, she's still even, what, what, nine months after the fact, almost ten months after the fact, she's still in recovery from her bout with COVID, so yeah, I don't lean on her, you know, as much as she probably even wants me to, but, you know, somebody's got to be the sensible one. But either way, um... So, yeah, I mean, and then the last three months have just been me. Oh, wonderful. We got people on one of the buildings setting off fireworks because it's the new year. Fantastic. I should have known better. <laughs> I should have known. Should have known that was going to go down. Um, so, yeah, like the last three months have been me, you know, getting in, you know, trying to dig myself out of the financial hole I put myself in with this move in a, you know, you, you know, instead of using a shovel, I'm using like a, uh, a plastic shovel you use to make sandcastles on the beach. <laughs> That's how it is right now. You know, I've already told my boss that I need more hours and things are just, this, you know, December's been really stressful. November was pretty stressful. And it's, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude through it all, but it's tough. You know, I will not lie about that. It is really hard to do that. But anyway, 
I mean, I've glossed over a few things, but I'm I'm home right now and I need to get inside the house because I don't need to be out here while they're setting off major fireworks and all this other crap and nonsense. Um, so yeah, I'm going to just get inside. I think I've bent your ears for a half hour, guys. So I'm just gonna go inside and have something to eat and probably I'm still up in the air whether I want to record episode 61 tonight or not. I may just hold off till tomorrow night, but we'll see how I'm feeling after I eat something. So this is Brian saying happy new year, everybody. And like I said, I hope that 2023 is better for you and yours as much as I'm hoping and praying it's as uh it's a better one for me and mine so in 2023 like i've said in another on the road segment which is going to probably come out after this because i think i'm going to put this year in review on either episode 61 or 62 depending we'll see how it all goes i'm doing my best and like i said thanks to uh chris and ben who have donated uh, money to this podcast, which is immediately turned around and put back into the podcast in the form of the trip to Detroit. <laughs> you know, it, as much of a disappointment as that was, um, started off great, but didn't end that way. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Like I said, 2023, I want to start streaming and I mean, I've got a good list of games and I could probably even stream, uh, you know, working on D&D stuff and that kind of thing and talking about Dungeons and Dragons, maybe even doing live recordings of the podcast and things like that. We'll see how it goes because I can probably turn those videos into uh, and put those on my uh, Confessions of an Arcade Addict uh, YouTube page and we'll see how that goes. I mean we'll see how it goes. It's like trying to get this whole, whole thing going, you know, and when there's not a lot of gold to mine in this, uh, in this, uh, thing anymore, you know, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, I'm getting pessimistic. <laughs> That's because I'm tired. I need to eat. I just need to rest and chill. So I think I'm going to go do that. So like I said, happy new year, everybody stay safe, stay sane, good gaming. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.